Hi there, and welcome to Indigari's Global Conversations, a podcast about how traveling the world shapes our lives and our perspectives. I'm Melissa Biggs Bradley of Indigari, a company I founded on the belief that how you travel matters. I'm sitting down in conversation with some of the most inspiring and innovative people I've met while on the road. They will share stories about their travels and how they lead lives of passion and purpose. Welcome to the conversation. Icon is an overused word, but sometimes it's applied accurately. And my guest today really is an icon of style. Over the course of her career, which began in the 1970s, Ines Lafressange has been a model, a muse, a designer, an author, and a creative director, as well as a wife and mother. And along the way, thanks to her candor and humor, she became an authority on fashion, style, and taste. She's traveled in the highest circles all over the world for much of her life, and she's been not only the face of Chanel in its advertising and fashion shows, but she was also chosen as the face of Marianne, the symbol of France. But anyone who's had the pleasure of meeting Inez realizes right away that she is much more than a pretty face. She is smart, savvy, and forthright in her assessments of people and places. Today, Inez is a brand ambassador for Roger Vivier, the shoe, bag, and accessories company whose founder popularized the stiletto heel. Her office at the company's Paris headquarters is painted pink, and it's been described as a cross between a mood board and a teenage girl's bedroom. And having visited it, though, I can tell you it is a treasure trove of inspiration, and it really melds Inez's incredible ability to blend being young at heart with a mature woman's full awareness and always an insightful, funny, and measured perspective. So Inez, thank you so much for spending time with us here. And I know we have a lot of fun things to talk about. Thank you, Melissa. And I'd actually love to go back, Inez, to how you first discovered your passion for fashion and how you ended up turning it into a career. A lot of girls dream of having the kind of career that you have, but how did it happen for you? Um, it's, it's funny asking me this question because finally there's not so many people who ask me that because I do remember when I was a teenager, something like 13 or 14, I was quite obsessed by clothes, but I thought it was something natural that all the girls would think about. But I was trying to knit, doing awful sweaters, doing, trying to, to sew things and all. And um, or to paint or to dye uh, things, and um, or to change, you know, objects. And I didn't imagine and know that it could become uh, real work. And finally, it's working with Lagerfeld once in um, in the studio where Carl told me, but um, you could you would could be a designer too. And then uh, I, I said, no, no, but I can't do what you do and uh, or what all the others are doing. And I only know about easy, simple clothes to wear every day and, uh, and quite casual things. And then Carl told me, oh, that could be a concept. And then uh, it, it, he gave me the idea that it was possible. With the years, I've learned that creativity and originality and doing something you like is precious and nothing is better. Yeah. And how did you first become a model, Inez? 
oh, I had a boyfriend who did some pictures. And of course he was in love and then he thought I was pretty. And then he took me to an agency and I say, are you sure? And he said, yeah, 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 you can be a model for sure. And then we went in this agency and they stared at me like this, thinking, uh-uh. And then uh, they said, uh, you should take off all your eyebrows and maybe you should learn how to do your makeup. I mean, I could feel they were not really enthusiastic. And then in the staircase, I say to my boyfriend, stupid idiot, I told you it was just impossible, you know? And um, I was just tall and skinny. And then, um, and then he says, sorry, sorry. And a few, few days, uh, two weeks later, we had a dinner with the owner of the most important agency in France, the most high point at the moment. She was Canadian and with a strong French Canadian accent, she told me that if I want to become a model, uh, no problem. And the day after I was working for Elle magazine. But this is to say it's a work you can decide to do. You have to be chosen. It's the only work that you can't do really all your life. And, um, and where you're going to decide to do it. You know, people have to ask. For it. And, you know, it's your, if it's your boyfriend or your mother, they will always tell you that you look very pretty and gorgeous. And the person is gorgeous and pretty, but maybe not the type of person that we need in fashion at this moment, or maybe the kind, not the kind of beauty that is, uh, I don't know, but uh, anyhow, it's not like being deciding to become a priest or whatever, any yeah. kind of job in the world. <laughs> and Inez, have you always lived in Paris? No, no, no. I'm a, a country girl. And uh, you see, I have big hands, like doing things in the, in the garden and the country. And, um, and then it's fun now today, people are saying so much that I'm the typical Parisian woman. And um, because I've been dreaming about Paris, you know, I was uh, in the trees with my friend, uh, with my uh, uh, brother and, uh, and all the time in the garden and in a boring school also in the country with only, only boys playing football. I mean, it was not such, uh, it was not Parisian at all. And then it was rather like a British school, an English school. And then uh, I came in Paris only to do my studies. I was around 18. And how did Paris, living in Paris, do you think, affect your idea of style? In each city, I think you dress up differently. There's an influence. And I remember once I had this German journalist who came in my office and she told me, what is the Parisian style? And I said, when you go back to Dusseldorf, or I don't know the city where she was, uh, she came from, after 20 years you're in France, don't they call you the Parisian girl? And she said, yeah, how do you know that? And then I said, it's obvious, you know, you've been living 20 years in Paris. Of course you're different than if you've stayed all your life in Dusseldorf. Doesn't mean it's better or worse. It's different, you know? And, um, I guess I would have lived in London. I would be far more eccentric or uh, in South America, maybe more 
feminine. Um, and um, I think it's important the place where you live. So how would you describe Parisian style? If it's not as eccentric as Britain and it's not as feminine as South America? It's, uh, I think it's a woman who dress up for herself because she knows if she feels fine in what she's wearing, she's going to look better. It's not to seduce someone else. And uh, it's, um, it's to seduce herself first because she knows if she feels great, she will look great. And then it's not to show off like uh, with brands, it's fun because all these brands, famous brands, you know, most of them, they're French or Italian, but a lot of them are French. But the French girls, they never wear logos. I mean, you know, they don't show off with something expensive and they, they can have things expensive, but they would mix it up with something found at the Monoprix. Monoprix, it's like... Um, what kind of like, like Target, so a little higher than Target, but and um, and they're quite proud also to wear things not expensive or things not new. Uh, I think uh, French girls they keep things and uh, maybe they won't use it every day, but suddenly it will help at a certain point, and they don't put so much. I think uh, the French style is to take off. If, if they're wearing earrings, they won't have a necklace and. Uh, too much is not enough is Texan. Less is better is rather French. And, um, but also, um, yes, I think it's a way to be casual, quite casual, even if you're wearing sophisticated things. And, um, and the idea is that they, they, they're pretentious, you know? They don't want people to say, uh, I love your jacket, but um, you look great. Or you look beautiful. It's very different. They want people to, to notice their personality. And then personality, finally, is not so much linked to fashion. Uh, style is not that linked to fashion. doesn't mean you ignore fashion, but uh, maybe you take things uh, that you like, but you don't adapt the whole thing. And they don't want to be trendy, which is fun, too, because Paris is supposed to be the capital of fashion, you know. But nobody's trendy in Paris. It's fun. You go in Milano, yes, in the streets of Milano, it's like watching a magazine sometimes. In Paris, no. And it's fun because when you ask to the women, uh, when you say, you tell them, oh, I love your jacket, uh, suddenly they say, oh, I have it since years, you know, like to have a day shopping would have been bad, you know, and, uh, and then each time I want to say, I didn't ask you when you bought it, and I just say it's a great jacket. <laughs> but yeah, in a way, maybe that's, that shows style or like a, a kind of a good taste, um, as opposed to, as you said, the trend or the fashion. Yeah. That we, it's fun because sometimes you can see people in the street. They could have been dressed the same way three years ago or 10 years ago. Quite often, you know, it's a, a, a clothes that can cross the decades. Imagine any person that could be an icon for you, or Catherine Hepburn or Diane Keaton clothes. You see them like 20 years ago. They're still fine today. I love someone like Jane Birkin yeah. and uh, 
when you see pictures of Jane Birkin in the 60s and the 70s, she was gorgeous. I know what she was wearing. It's still great today. It's fun. Yeah. Um, I shouldn't say bad things about fashion. but uh, <laughs> No, because it's still fashion. It's just, it's timeless as opposed to fast. And I think that that's the difference. And if you, it can be a great piece of clothing cut right and you take it and wear it in your own way and you wear it over time, it's, it's a different way of thinking of it. Um, yeah, but also the question of portions, you know. Like 10 years ago, I would say to all my friends, put shirts really too tiny and put black bras under, it's going to be gorgeous. And today I would say, take the shirt of your husband, large, comfortable, and then it's still a shirt. You know, the shirt is a concept and proportions are really pretty, gives a big difference. Now, you've been lucky over the course of your career, Inez, to work with some of the real geniuses in fashion, like Yves Saint Laurent and, and Karl Lagerfeld and, and later at, at Roger Vivier. Are there certain lessons that you learn from those designers, uh, sort of either about the industry or about just even design and style? Yes, indeed. First, they, they've been working a lot. Now, there's a long, lot of young people that are dreaming about the fashion world only because they think they're going to have a very glamorous work and having dinner with the Kardashians. I don't know. But all these people like Jean-Paul Gaultier or Lagerfeld, uh, they've been working quite a lot, you know. Lagerfeld was only working, doing nothing else. It was incredible. Uh, having a very simple life. He was joking, but it was quite true saying that he had a life of a monk. And um, and then, uh, but what I've learned of the, all these years that everything is possible with people, but everything depends on people. Whatever you do in every job of the world, um, people are so important, you know? And then to trust people and to admire people is very important. And um, and to trust also the originality and um, the personality. And what is funny in, in fashion, that there's a real justice. You know, all the people who became really very famous and had huge success, there's very precise reasons for that. They deserved it, I'm assuming, is what you mean. Yes, they deserve it. There's not a thing like it's not like a lottery like this, no. And no. and they knew perfectly their work, and they've been working a lot, and they had the special world. Um, thinking about somebody like Christian Lacroix, for instance, and uh, who's not born in fashion, he didn't even decide to do fashion. He uh, studied stud history of art, and uh, and he knew how to draw very well. And that's the interesting thing, too. It's their own culture, their own interests, uh, which is not only fashion, uh, because uh, fashion is uh, feed with um, many images and um, of exhibitions, of books, of uh, movies or whatever. And all these people I've met most interesting, they gave a lot of interest about other things than fashion. Now, our, our Indigari Fashion Club has been um, focusing this year on this topic of fashion as feminism. And I would love to hear sort of how you think the two concepts inspire each other, because you've 
you, you were called the talking mannequin because you were one of the first models to really share your opinion and be very vocal. So I'd love to hear what you think about the idea of fashion and feminism and how they've evolved. I think fashion is all the time a reflect of the moment. And sometimes it's extra lucid to and can feel what's gonna happen to, which is very interesting. But the, the present moment, the present decade is all the time linked with fashion. And um, for instance, when we think about the 60s with the miniskirt of Mary Quant and the sexual liberation, the fact that the pill arrived, um, it was after the war uh, also, because the war was not that far. The whole thing, you know, was all linked that the the need of uh, youth and happiness and music and uh, the literature of this moment uh, the the desire to stop the Vietnam war and it appeared in in the in the clothes and uh, of course um, of course it was important also to show a difference with the other generation Maybe today we don't need this that much. And then, um, and then feminism was very important at this time. When you imagine that some women that didn't have their bank account or they couldn't decide and do things without their husbands, or they, some of them got married to have a, a life, um, a better life. And, uh, and then, of course, the way to dress up uh, is very important. Poiré, for instance, decided to take up the corsets of uh, the women. And it was very symbolic, you know, because they, of course they couldn't, it was a tight life and they, they, they couldn't move so much. And this corset was a symbol of, of their life, you know. And, um, and then, and, uh, but you see that sometimes um, couturier designers, they feel things before, and it's shocking. And imagine that, um, tell me if I talk too much. No. And imagine that Chanel, when she was going to the races, when she was pretty young, all the women, they had these corsets and huge hats with vegetables, fruits, birds, whatever you want on the hats. And uh, like in My Fair Lady, you know this movie, My Fair Lady? And they look pretty much like this, you know. And Chanel, she arrived with a trench coat and a man hat. I mean, she was a punk, you know, to arrive like this. Today, you would see this Burberry raincoat and this uh, um, gray hat. You would think, oh, how chic and conventional and classic. And uh, But at this time, it was very provocative, you know. And to wear mantles, to wear pants. There's these pants that she's wearing with pearls and um, marine uh, sweaters. Yeah. Uh, and she looks so modern, you know, and uh, even more modern than what she was showing. Um, not on a runway because they didn't have runways. But um, and then um, but her life was not conventional. So and then. Even if today you think it's something so chic and, and so classic, at a certain point, it wasn't. 
and um, and it's, it's very often like this in fashion. And I'm a woman of the 80s, you know, where we had to do a lot of things and have a lot of success and be too. I think today the young generation, they're very different and they understand the, um, they have to learn how to live in the present time. Today also, the big change after all these years and fight for feminism, it's uh, also to to show that we don't have to be pretty and things don't have to be nice looking or and we're not supposed to be this uh, plant that is supposed to be all the time really very pretty and um and then when you accept that um that you're not supposed to be a gift all the time and um but you're supposed to to feel okay and uh, and to do things you love and uh, of course be generous and things do things for the others but things you love <laughs> and and you actually mentioned that Carl Lagerfeld was the one who said that maybe you had a concept in the way that you like to dress what what really made you make that leap from being a model into to being a designer and and opening a business Actually, being a model, it, it's nice because um, because you meet a lot of people and it's good for your ego. And you, if everybody tells you you're pretty, you finish by believe it. And, and, and you know some tricks, how to do your hair, your makeup, or to dress up. For many, many things, being a, a model is, is great, especially when you're successful, because if not, it's harder. But you're never really creative. Uh, everybody around you is more creative. The makeup artist, the one who makes the, the makeup, the hair, the, um, the, the one who's uh, choosing the clothes, the designer, the photographer. Everybody uh, does something important. And if the light of the photographer is awful, you're going to look awful. You can't do anything. And finally, you're the person who's not creative at all, you know. And um, and then it, you can't spend all your life like this, you know. It's, and it's a little bit like going to the casino, playing, and having success all the time. And then it's nice. You, know, you arrive in the casino, you stay two hours, three hours, four hours, and they give you the money, and you go away. But um, it, it, it's not a work. It's not something you. It's not something you do, and it's not uh, you don't improve in that really. And then you need something else. I assume being a designer then gave you more control, the creativity plus the control. Yes, and 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 you're proud of it, and you can't be proud being a model, uh, because if you have a beautiful picture. You just thank the photographer and your parents, maybe, but it's not you really. Yeah. And but when you have prototypes arriving, it's great fun. And also, I must say that I've been lucky because also I've been asked for. There were very important investors, and they believed in me far much more than myself. And uh, because there's all the time this maybe feminine sealer, and say that. Uh, you know, you always think that there's a, um, 
at a level where you can't go up further. And it's always nice in life when somebody tells you, yes, it's possible. And then these investors, they gave me this shop, you, you remember, that was huge, Avenue Montaigne. And uh, I must say, I was quite afraid. But it was a challenge to take. Oh. And um, it was a risk. Like everything fun in life is a risk. Get married, to have children, to buy to buy a house, but it's also the best. Even to have dogs, I must say, where are they? <laughs> and, and since you opened the shop and since you were with you know, modeling for Carl and all of the fashion has changed so much. I'd be curious to know what you think of social media and the style influencers and, and how that has changed um, you know, the, the role of perception in style and beauty. Yeah, it's very true. Uh, every, fashion has been changing a lot, but everything is changing. At a, a moment, you have to accept that everything is changing. And, um, but all these social medias, um, it's fun because sometimes it's not that good for big brands. They don't really know how to communicate they want to look young and they're just pathetic or they're too stiff or, um, or they want to sell absolutely their product. And um, I think young people are just laughing because they just don't manage. And that's the good thing about it because suddenly little brands, they don't have famous photographers or famous models and all, and they do much better. <laughs> and then with the social media, it, there's a way. Because if somebody famous wears a jacket or just a bag or something done, but somebody unknown, in one day, it can be a huge success. You know? And um, because, you know, all these huge brands, they have so much money. You can open a magazine and there's 10 pages of ads of, or even 20 pages of the same group, you know. It's like mafia, terrible, but it's good for magazines because that's the way they survive. But for young, very young people starting, you know, doing things, handcrafts or whatever, and uh, it can be hard. Yeah. And actually, can you talk a little bit about your relationship with Roger Vivier? Because that's an old brand with incredible heritage and history but it's small and, and you've been a brand ambassador for them. So I'd love to hear how that came about and what it means to you. Yeah, it's true that it's, it's a very, very prestigious brand because it's, Roger Vivier invented the stiletto and many, many other things. The first one of the family of all the shoes, the first boots, the first high boot, the first, just name them, the first ballerina and this incredible buckle boot, buckle shoe that is still very, very trendy nowadays. And then all the people working in fashion knew this name and the work of this man that I happened to know, actually. And, um, but it was a bit forgotten, forgotten by even people of fashion world. And then I had to relaunch it something like 20 years ago. And now it's, it's quite famous all over the world and very successful and synonymous of elegance and extravagance together, which I, which I like very much. 
And it's fun because uh, it's like all the very, very big brands. A grandmother can like something, the mother and the daughter. And sometimes it can be the same shoe. And think about all the iconic um, products in fashion since many decades. You would think, you can notice that it goes to all kind of women. And that's the interesting thing. And then we succeed by this way to relaunch the, the brand and keep it very, very elegant, but not stiff, which is not obvious in France. And then, um, but, but it's really nice, you know, because it means a lot. I mean, when you see a woman wearing Roger Vivier, it's maybe still a niche uh, brand, but it says a lot about the person. Yeah, and I'd actually be curious at you, because style does change. And, and how has your style changed over time as you've gotten older? And then also in this pandemic, has it changed your style? Oh, yeah, I think that if you don't change style, it's a bit sad. And I see a lot of women, they want to keep like when they were 25, like in the 80s, you know, and you want to tell them, look a little bit YouTube, I don't know, or Instagram or what's going around. <laughs> and, you know, because they want to, I, I, I also sometimes they put a lot of Botox and things and thinking like these people will think I'm still 25, like darn great, you know. And then, you know, of course, you have to be influenced a little bit by what's going on. And thanks God, personally, I've been changing, you know, because in the 80s, we were wearing so much blush and lipstick and a lot of eyeshadow, a lot of spray gel things in the hair, huge earrings, huge everything. You know, it was like Dallas, Dallas, the, the film, you know, not the city. And then... Um, Today, you know, everything is lighter and the makeup is lighter, the hair is lighter and the clothes is more casual. And as you say, with the lockdown, things have been changing too because, um, because you can't be at home like you're outside when you have, you have meetings in offices and things and, uh, and you want to be comfortable. And however, even before COVID, I think there were this trend to be more casual. You can go, go with jeans everywhere nowadays. And it's not that you have to change and at the office to go uh, in the evening somewhere. Or, you know, before in New York, we would see a lot of women walking with sneakers and having in their bags heels and something for the evening. However, today everything is far much more cool and thanks God, you know, and, but also with the lockdown, I think um, people, they want to stay comfortable. It doesn't mean sloppy. It doesn't mean they don't take care, but something more natural. You know, we all had time to think about our priorities. It's very hard to, for me to say this word, priorities. And then um, priorities in everything. And, um, in your life, in, uh, in your work, in your, in your wardrobe. You had time to watch it and hope to de-closet. <laughs> and <laughs> it's very interesting to, to see them. You're supposed to watch at your thing and say, do I still like you or not? Do you bring me joy or not joy? 
And then um, it, it's a very good exercise because we have too many things, all of us. And then we should give to charities. And the style improve when you get rid of things. That's a beautiful sentence. I should write it down. But it's true, you know. And it changed this. If you change your wardrobe, your closet, it changes uh, you. And, and you look better. I'd love to ask you, um, you know, before the outbreak of COVID, when we were in Paris and got to, you know, be at Vivier and see Dior, are there other places? I mean, we got to go to lots of wonderful, the Christian Dior archives and the Musée de la Mode and you know, so many wonderful places for fashion inspiration in Paris. But are there ones that are particular favorites for you? All the time to say that um, uh, it's nice to walk in the streets, you know, to lose time and um, to spend time. Time time can be very different. I wrote a guide about Paris, where to go, the restaurants, the museums and all that, but um, giving many, many addresses. And then, um, but today... Uh, if I would have to redo it, I would say to people, just get lost, <laughs> walk in the street and watch the places. And, um, and because fashion is this too, you know, fashion is only culture and um, opening your eyes on, on the world. And then to, tell, to say it's a general attitude, and um, people, are, uh, when they're traveling or um, in their life, they're always afraid to miss something. And when you will get very old, like myself, you learn that um, doesn't, it's not a problem if you miss something. If you've spent an hour with somebody interesting, telling you nice stories, even if it's in the lobby of your um, if of your of your hotel uh, doesn't matter, and this is my general um, my general philosophy. I, I love your philosophy. I think you're absolutely right. And um, so I want to ask you about travel, though, because I know you travel, and I'd love to know what your if there are certain tips you have for packing, or there whether you have a uniform for travel, or sort of a philosophy around what to wear and pack to to always feel good. Yeah, indeed, I've been traveling a lot. Imagine once I went to Australia just for twenty four hours. I mean, nobody did that. Even people working in the plane, they told me, "Are oh, we staying a little longer?" And then um, I've been working, uh, traveling a lot for work. And then after a while, you know, there were things for like bringing socks in the plane or cashmere plate because there's all the time where it's, uh, there's a, a moment where it's chilly and shoes. And it's not because I'm working at Vivier, but I can dress up everywhere in the world. You know, there will always be a Uniqlo shop or man shop uh, where I can find a big white shirt and, and with the scarves, I will do a look. But shoes, you can't find beautiful shoes everywhere in the world. You know? And then to have quite sophisticated in case, you know, the ambassador wants to invite you, you have a party or something, it, you can always manage. 
So for our next episode, we're going to get into a little science. I'm really looking forward to sharing this conversation with you. Because many people are familiar with Jacques Cousteau, the famous underwater explorer responsible for scuba and revered by divers worldwide and across generations. Well, I was lucky enough to sit down with his grandson, Fabian Cousteau, who continues to foster his grandfather's legacy as an aquanaut. We talk about preserving and protecting our oceans and coastlines, his new project dubbed the International Space Station of the Ocean, and of course, about travel. I hope you'll join us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review it wherever you're listening. Send us your travel stories, lessons, tips, and questions by emailing us at globalconversations at indigari.com. Head over to our website at www.indigari.com to learn more about how to join our community of passionate travelers and to check out our other virtual content. Lastly, find us on social media at Indigari Travel for more travel content and updates.